You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. The world is filled with many questions, such as, did giants exist? What is junk DNA? Does it mean that you're trash? Do you ever wonder if aliens have underwater bases in our oceans, and that's why there are so many UFO sightings off the coasts of islands all over the world? How serious even is climate change, and when should we start building our rafts? Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything, Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. We are going into February of a species that was saved from the brink, and that's the black-footed ferret. Yay, black-footed ferret. I've been waiting for this species for a long time. What can they teach us? The BFFs (laughs) are, as you had mentioned, a keystone species. And they really, their recovery in the wild signifies the health of the Many species are in crisis and need your help. And so currently, Chris, there's an estimated 370 individuals in the wild. The numbers are a little hard to count because of they're nocturnal and they live in these. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. So welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. I'm Chris. And I'm Angie. And this is Chris from New Zealand. The new Chris. (laughs) I see. I see. Well, and I definitely know that you're like in the future for me, a whole day in the future. So that's kind of cool. No, it's been, it's been an amazing journey. It's, you know, still a lot of adjustment. It's the first time I've ever lived overseas. I mean, obviously we both have traveled all over the world. Uh, It's been, it's been amazing. Gorgeous country. The people are just incredible. That's what anybody will tell you in New Zealand is just the people are just so welcoming. So I could see why everybody wants to come here. Well, and the pictures look amazing of the different trees and the parks. Yeah, it's been, the parks are great. Everybody's great. What I really love about it too that I'm finding out is there's just a huge focus on conservation. And so the New Zealand government is just having this really big push to preserve their wild spaces for, you know, not just tourism, but conservation of the native species in New Zealand. They have quite a bit of, of birds that are endangered. Other species, some some have gone extinct. So that's been really great to to see uh, a government like that push. And then, you know, all, there's always bad with the good. And driving has been a nightmare. <laughs> it's like well, for you, you're driving on the wrong side of yes, the road. No, I'm, my whole life I've been driving on the wrong <laughs> side. Apparently, because it true, is like so nerve wracking. It's all roundabouts, which I love. So you're not waiting at a stoplight all the time, but oh my God, it is so hard. Well, you're going the other way yes, though. Your so brain just gets... You have to train, you have to rethink 
when you look left, look right, look yeah, right, look it's left. It's really bad. Uh, it's just crazy. And then what's also, this is what's hilarious, is whenever you turn your turn signal in in New Zealand on the left-hand side of the steering wheel, it's the windshield wiper. So you're always turning on your windshield wipers left and right. <laughs> <laughs> I think I remember yeah. that. I, I've driven in yeah. Africa a few times and You're yeah, like, it was never pretty. Son of a, uh, yeah. And then so like this morning I every yeah. time. Every time. Every yeah, time. Yeah. No, I actually have a I have a door that my a car where my front passenger door never unlocks or it's or it's just always locked. And every time I go to open it, I'm just like, every yeah. time, every time. So yeah, yeah, you, I can imagine that with the windshield. You, yeah. Lifers. You're walking to your car and instead of, you know, you're, you're going to the left-hand side thinking, Oh, that's where I'm going to, the steering wheel is. And you look and you're like, Oh my God, come on. And you got to walk around the car to the other side. So, so that's been pretty funny, but anyways, here I am. I'm in New Zealand. We've made the move uh, really quickly. It was for my wife's job. She's got a spectacular, a job doing honeybee research down here. So being the good the dream job, yeah, the good husband that I am, I I quit everything and, and came down here and started podcasting. So <laughs> for me, oh yeah, so so hard, definitely. Yeah, and it was kind of her turn too. So it's uh the the old give and take, yeah. right? I mean, she, you know. <laughs> All right, so let's get into today's episode. We are talking about an amazing conservation success story again. I think it's really great to start off the year. Here we are going into February of a species that was saved from the brink, and that's the black-footed ferret. Yay, black-footed ferret. I've been waiting for this species for a long time. Yeah, it's, it's such a cool story. It is. It really is. And did you know that they were called American polecats? I did not know that. Yeah, you heard polecats, right? Like, I've heard of polecats. I never knew that it was, it was ferrets. Right. No. Yeah. Hmm. yeah it was, Interesting. Yeah, it was totally cool. So polecats are mustelids. Ferrets and weasels, but I saw that and I was like, oh, because you always, you know, I don't know if it was an old gang in the, some 50s movie, The Polecats. Wasn't that like Grease or something? I don't remember. But anyways, so this species, what is insane about it was they pretty much declared them extinct in 1979, right? Yes. The black-footed ferret is the only native ferret to North America, and they obviously were doing fine until about the... Um, Mm, I think late 1800s. So yeah, what's so great about the story is they were declared extinct in 1979. And, and we'll get a little bit into the history. But before we do, I want to give you some street cred. And that for the listeners, that they know, that they that the listeners will know that Angie actually is doing some black-footed ferret work right now. And this is preliminary research, but she's actually doing research to help the species, right? Well, and Chris, funny enough, yes. Right now, as you and I speak, you're a day ahead of me, 18 hours. Yeah. Uh, it's Saturday night here. Um, my samples are uh, black-footed ferret samples. Blood samples are on the instrument where at the university where I work. And we're just looking at preliminary results to check on their health from both the animals in the wild and then also some of the captive samples. So pretty exciting stuff. Uh, it's the first time I've got to work with Blackfoot Affairs samples, and I'm curious to get to the office on 8 o'clock Monday morning to see the results, see if the sometimes the run on the instrument that I work with, the analytical instrument, sometimes it doesn't work, sometimes it does. So uh, yeah, it's, but it's really, really cool, and it just uh, makes me feel like I'm uh, helping fight the good fight. 
keep these guys healthy yeah, no. in the wild yeah. and then also um, in the captive setting. No, sure. yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome work. And, you know, again, like I said, from you years ago, you inspired me to to jump into conservation and, and really change the direction of my career. So it's great to see you work, even though you should be in the lab on a Saturday night as a grad student, right? <laughs> I should be. Yeah. I should be. I wish I could say I was there right now checking the samples out, but there's yeah, nothing right. I can do. There, it's either gonna, the, it's either gonna work or it's an experiment that'll work or not work. So yes, yeah. instead yeah, I'm we'll in, we'll instead see. I'm uh, here talking about them. So I think that that's almost it as is. Good. It is almost as important too, right? Education. So if you don't know what a Black-footed ferret is. Let me describe a little bit about you. I think that's one of the things we like to do now is kind of try to visualize the animal. Or you could just call them the masked bandits. Yes, they are. They're beautiful too. I remember seeing them for the first time at the San Antonio Zoo and I I, I want to go back and because I didn't appreciate them. Sure. Like yeah. Unless have. you know their whole story, it's uh, you can just walk right. by and think, oh, there's a ferret. Uh, but they, yeah. they're special ferrets in North America and they have a special right, story. Right. So the, the size of these guys, size of a domestic ferret, their bodies are, are just under 60 centimeters. I'm going to use uh-huh. New Zealand units. The good old <laughs> metric system that pretty much all the world yes. uses, except for North America. Except us. <laughs> <laughs> except for us in the States. Yeah. Um, so that... That translates to about two feet, and that includes their tail. So not very long. And then they only stand about 15 centimeters or six inches, which is really nothing. <laughs> so they're really short and stout. Right. Yeah, it's not tall. And they only weigh mm-hmm. about one and a half kilograms, a little bit less. So a little less than three pounds. So not not a huge animal. But, you know, again, big in attitude, right? <laughs> These guys. Well, and, and strong enough to uh, take down yes, a prairie yeah. dog. So yeah, they're really cool. cool. So what's really pretty are they're, they're just beautiful animals. Their, their coats are white and tan, have some black hairs in there. They have that black mask. Uh, their feet are black, obviously, because they're called the black-footed ferret. And then the, the tip of their tail is, is black. And I would just say like the mask, it's kind of like raccoon just a little bit, you know, not quite as distinguished, but they do have those, that black mask around them. So really, really. Around their yeah, eyes. Just really, mm-hmm. really charismatic, beautiful animals. Cute. Yeah, very cute. <laughs> now, let's talk about why they're such a great species to talk about. And one of the, the, I would say a cornerstone species that, like the California condor that we just talked about a few weeks ago, a species that was really on the brink, or this species was thought extinct, and then we brought them back. So mm-hmm. what happened was, you know, we kind of alluded to it. Over the 20th century, populations were just devastated. They, they once thought they might have numbered around 6 million. Now, habitat wow. loss was a big one, right? I mean, it's like the bison. The bison, the bison was, what, 60 million? They used to think there were 60 million plus bison, and now there's... I, yeah, I try, to, I try to picture that and just, right. I mean, could you imagine looking across the plains and seeing nothing but bison and, oh, man, just hearing them move and Yeah, it must have been incredible. Them, yeah, those days, those days yeah, are gone. Yeah, long gone, long gone. So... All that loss of habitat had a big contributor, but really, you know, humans, men, by going out and devastating prairie dogs, because the prairie dog, and we'll get to it in the nutrition, is their primary source, dietary source. They eat that more than anything else. What do you say? 90%, 90, 95% of their diet is prairie dog. Yeah, 65 to about 95% is prairie dogs. So they're what's considered an obligate carnivore. So instead of being a generalist and eating whatever they can find, for instance, 
like the honey mm-hmm. badger, uh, they're obligated to the prairie dog. They kind of coexist together in, uh, in, in a way that when the prairie dog numbers decline, so right. do the black-footed ferrets. Absolutely. Hand in yeah. hand. Yeah. And the prairie dogs are just the bane of any farmer or rancher's existence. So there was this. Of course. Yeah. yeah I mean, they just, they, they destroy crops. They make these big holes where cows fall in, break their legs. Horses fall in, break their legs. So they wanted to eliminate prairie dogs. You can't, you can't, yeah, you can't mow. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's tough. Yeah. It's really tough. So uh, there was a mass poisoning of prairie dogs in really the, the late 19th, but through the 20th century. And conversely, you know, we say this trickle up and trickle down, you know, you knocked out the Blackfoot ferret as you were wiping out the prairie dog populations. We thought they were extinct in, in 1979. The, the story of them being rediscovered is really interesting. And I, I think in the, in the first pod, I, I talked a little bit about it. But in 1981, a rancher in Wyoming, uh, and if you read the story, it's kind of a cool story that the, the, you can know, just imagine this old rancher couple in the early 80s, you know, just sitting in there in their the little ranch house. Think about the outfits they were probably <laughs> yeah, wearing. Probably <laughs> overalls. <laughs> and, yeah. the, but the, yeah, the, the 80s are coming back. Some of that yeah. like uh, red and black plaid. Yeah. And I can just imagine them. So their dog was making some new, you know, at, at night barking and they thought, oh, maybe a raccoon or whatever. Uh, didn't really think about it. Next morning they went out and they the dog had killed an animal and they thought it was a mink is really what the, the rancher thought. So they tossed it over the fence and didn't think twice about it. But later the wife was like, oh, it'd be kind of cool to stuff that thing and stick it on my shelf. So husband went out, picked it up, took it to a taxidermist. The taxidermist looked at it and said, nope, I can't touch it. That is a black footed ferret. It's an endangered species. And they're like, what? And they thought they were extinct. So, U.S. Fish and Wildlife came out and they did find one colony still in existence. So what they did is they went and they they tracked these guys. They collared a few of them, tracked them. They actually grew to a peak. That little small population grew to about 130 animals, a little less than that in, in 1984. But then the, the plague hit, which was a similar plague to like the bubonic plague, plague in humans, it, it was wiping them out again. So conservation experts took in a population of 18 animals in captivity and started the breeding program. So, and they, and they bounced back pretty well in the, in captivity. They went from 18 in 1986 to in, ni- in the year 1991, there was about 180 and that's when they started to reintroduce them. So, you know, crazy story about how just happenstance that these animals could have flown under the radar and, gone completely extinct we would never known it if it wasn't for that dog right so today they have been reintroduced in northern mexico a couple parts in arizona new mexico colorado utah wyoming south dakota montana and then southern canada they've reintroduced some there too there's approximately 29 reintroduction sites so their historic range used to be from you know almost half of texas all of New Mexico, portions of Arizona, and then you go all the way north, just that strip of the United States, up to Montana, North Dakota, and then parts of southern Canada. They were there too. So that was mm-hmm. that was where their, their native habitat and like you said, the, the reintroduction sites. Now, quick history on these guys. 
Now going into their evolution, don't need a lot about this because we've already covered this in the Honey Badger. So if you're really interested, you should listen to the Honey Badger episode. You should listen to it 10 times because it's my favorite. <laughs> I just laugh I still thinking think about, about it. Yeah. Chasing me and I just uh, running up my I... nuts. <laughs> oh gosh, those things. Um, but yeah, they're mustelids. So they're part of that, that family of weasels, ferrets, minks, you know, uh, is the genus mustela. So there's about 17 species there. Uh, badgers, otters, wolverines, yeah. all yeah. that. Kind yeah. Of, yeah. And this is the black-footed ferret is Mustela nigripes. If I say that right. I like it. I think that's what I am. I think so. Yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But their history, they go back and they split off from the steppe polecat that was in from Europe and Asia about 500,000 years ago, went over the Bering Strait where the land bridge was, and then into North America. So that's kind of uh, where where they went. But, you know, transitioning to history with humans, I know I covered a little bit of it in the story of them, but I don't know if there's anything you have to add as far as the story with, with us and, their, and our relationship with them. Historically, Native American tribes, including the Crows and the Blackfoot, the Sioux and the Cheyenne and the Pawnee, they did use black-footed ferrets for religious rites and for food in their native lands when they were plentiful. And interestingly enough, the Blackfoot ferret, they've always been elusive, most likely probably because they're nocturnal, but they were not encountered during the Lewis and Clark expedition. It wasn't until 1851 that they were described by Ottoman and Bachman. So it was really kind of a short time and because their numbers started to plummet pretty rapidly after the 1920s as they were sometimes used as fur, but mostly were decimated in the population because of the prairie dogs and then other diseases. And then they were declared endangered in the 1960s and then extinct in the late 70s. So just a really complex timeline uh, to only be then found again, <laughs> reborn in the in the right. you know in the early 80s. Um, kind of like and myself. Then actually people, <laughs> yeah, and then people actually caring about them, right? Like sure. Oh, Chris. Oh my word. Yes. And we invite not obviously people, the ranchers, but the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife scientists, researchers, animal care specialists. A lot, a lot of people went into. Uh, it's like all the forces came together and just acted and they acted quick and they acted hard and they made some tough management decisions, but some really good yeah. ones. And, and it, for me, that's why it's such a feel good story of what can be done and, and learning too. Like when they were first brought into captivity, they had a hard time breeding them and understanding a lot about their, their reproduction and mm-hmm. they just, just kept going. And, and then funds were allocated to, to really saving these species. And when that happens, Obviously, the miracle can happen, and they're right. pretty much brought back from extinction. But yeah, you think about it as like you know, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the California condor and how that was kind of an iconic. Which, by the way, it, just to interrupt yeah. a little bit, which by the way, the California condor is one of my new favorite episodes. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I really enjoy it. I mean, obviously, I'm biased. I'm quite biased, but I, I was cracking up when I am working on my. Um, my dissertation, and maybe I'm just that bored. But yeah, I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, hey, I haven't started reading it yet. <laughs> Call me in a few days after I start reading your dissertation. Well, <laughs> trust me, when you read it, listen to either Honey Badgers or Condors. You'll in the background, so you can uh, give me some good marks. On yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, it was crazy. It was just like you know, after doing that episode, and now appreciating the birds of New Zealand, you know, and, and looking at all the different uh, wildlife they have here is it, it, it's, it's cool. 
I'm really looking forward to you highlighting some uh, some of the speeches yeah, from New Zealand. They're great. They're great. But un- until until you pick until you pick and decide, I'm gonna, I'm going to stick with my American awesome conservation stories. No, but I mean the Blackfoot <laughs> Affair is just it's an amazing feel good story that I think just flew under the radar. Is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, it really did. It really did. In fact, it even did with my four year old. I told him we were doing uh, Blackfoot Affair today, and he and I asked him what he knew about them, and he said, "Oh, they look like raccoons." So I thought yeah. I was pretty pleased with that. And then he said, well, I think you should do platypuses. <laughs> and that was his that was his input for the week. And I just, okay, Xander, well, well, I'll talk to Chris and see if we can slide that one in sometime. Yeah, we'll do we'll do platypuses soon just for Xander because that those that is a crazy episode. Yeah, those would be crazy. Do, I mean, I, yeah, that would be their biology yeah, would be yeah, fun. They're great. So and I think the really important question, Chris, is why should we care about the black exactly. parents in the industry? They're often called BFFs, which is what I call my girlfriends that I'm very close to my best, my best friends forever. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the, the BFFs are, as you had mentioned, a keystone species and they really, their recovery in the wild signifies the health of the grassland ecosystem, mm-hmm. which is where they survive. And they also help, restore this ecological integrity of the grasslands and people that are listening in other countries or even in our own country might not really realize the significance of the great plains ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's extremely unique in the world. There's not a lot of other areas in the world that have this acreage and acreage and acreage of this unique niche of this grassland ecosystem. And so that means Chris, if we help save the ferret, we save over 130 unique plants and animals that depend on this unique ecosystem. And so I think about it, maybe because I'm a mom or whatever, but I think of it as a lasting legacy for future generations to enjoy, you know? And so to me, it just indicates a healthy world. And and yeah, we may never be able to look across the plains and see a million head of bison, but in the same instance, we can try to keep the grasslands as healthy as possible. And I think the black-footed ferret are a cornerstone or flagship species to do this, to recognize. No, that's, a, that's such an amazing point. And this is like, you know, listening to you talk about it and my head's just rolling, thinking about the Great Plains, the United States. Yes, we still, a lot of it has been turned into croplands, but there's still a lot of grasslands in the Dakotas, in Wyoming, in Montana, and parts of Colorado. Oh, it's, yeah, it's like God's country out there, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, there, it's beautiful and it, yeah, it just, it's really represents a lot of like the heartland of, uh, of the United States. And, and it's, and it's very unique there. That's a, that acreage of grasslands. I don't think, I don't think you can find anywhere else on the continent. I could be wrong. Listeners, if I am wrong, please no, let me know. No, I mean, there's, I mean, yeah, there's grasslands up in Canada, but not like that. And even if you look to Asia, you know, that, and just an ocean of grass, it's, you don't have the bison, Oh, that's a very yeah. good description. Yeah, an ocean of grass. Oh, I like that. That could be like a, a song lyric <laughs> or something. Yeah, yeah. No, just that yeah. visual. The visualization that I get from that is really cool. Yeah, but it's true. And you know, and in the in the United States or North America, even parts of Canada, when we had bison, you know, just roaming, you didn't have that in Asia. And maybe at some point, right. a long time ago, they used to be there and they got wiped out by man. I don't know, but. In North America, you know, the bison were there in the millions until the late 1800s, you know, the 19th century. So, yeah, that's a great point as far as why they're important. Mm-hmm. 
There's they they have their niche. And they are, the black-footed ferret is one of the most endangered mammals in North America. And so this species represents what humans and governments and researchers and animal care specialists and landowners, what they can do when they all, when they all come together. And so a big applause to everybody that helps that previously historically helped on that project and is currently out in the field right now doing really good things, which we'll touch more on later on. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great point. All right. So let's get into a little bit about specifically the, the BFFs or black footed ferrets, physical See, you like it. Yeah, I do. I do. Chris, who's your BFF? My BFF (laughs) is probably my two kids because right now that's all I got in there. (laughs) I'm making some friends. I'm making some friends. That's yeah, that's like the sweetest answer ever. Cute. Oh, well, okay. thank you. Yeah. you. Now you can keep talking about science. Okay. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah, physical traits. If you go back, they're not as tenacious as, say, the honey badger, but they have still some of the similar traits. The teeth, you know, the the claws for digging, things like that. Uh, but again, they, they have these long, slim bodies, short and stout legs. And the, and the short and stout legs are really important crawl in these burrows, you know, to specialize in, in tackling these, these prairie dogs. So that's really where their physiology. And again, when I say they, they look like the domestic ferret, I think it's worthwhile kind of talking about a domestic ferret really quick and what they are. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. I um, recently learned, I'm not sure if you're familiar, Chris, but there's about five to 7 million pet ferrets in the United States. Oh, wow. I didn't know that many. Right. And in fact, they're actually the most popular companion mammal behind in the U.S., of course. Sorry, my, my data is from the U.S., but uh, behind the dog and the cat, which I have. Really? Yeah. Isn't that, I <laughs> mean, crazy. To, to each their own. I, I mean, I'm an animal person I, and, I, and I've known a few friends here and there that have had ferrets and I just it never seemed like a pet that I was interested in, in, in keeping. But, yeah, the European ferret or the domestic ferret has been domesticated for over 2000 years and mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. only really been super popular in the u.s in the past 30 years oh wow uh, i didn't know there's that many though that's crazy yeah five to seven million wow <laughs> so and what i found really interesting especially considering your new location that's your hint do you know where right. the largest population of feral domestic ferrets yeah i was live? thinking of uh, canada <laughs> oh i know of course new zealand that was gonna be my point yeah, that's a big problem here. <laughs> yeah, where you are. I, I just thought that was, yeah, it's it kind of funny, yeah. ironic that uh, uh, while doing this research, you're just living there and you're living amongst a whole heck of a lot of uh, feral ferrets. And yeah. uh, they're a big, are, they, big problem. Well, and they were originally re- released to help with your help control your bunny population. Is Was that what Rats happened? Rats is a big one. Rats and mice, I know, are big. Ah, rats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's where a lot of the flightless birds are in trouble. You know, these animals come and eat their nests. Uh, they're they're young or they eat the eggs. So there's, again, like I said, the New Zealand government's really pushing hard to conserve. And so we have just, I mean, I was having this last week, you know, meeting one of our new friends. And she was like, if you look around, everything's invasive. Almost all the trees, all the plants. You know, um, Lily of the Niles are everywhere blooming, just gorgeous, but these aren't native to New Zealand. Not supposed to be yeah, there. Yeah, so, right. so it's funny when you come through, Ugh. coming through customs here, they're very strict. Uh, you want to declare everything. I just read about a guy who got kicked out. He had a work visa, got kicked out for bringing in sausage from Belgium. 
And he, he got kicked out of the country. That damn yeah, sausage. So. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten kicked out of countries because of sausage. It's <laughs> <laughs> like vacuum pack sausage there, Angie. Oh, Beware. Oh, man. Uh, that damn sausage. But yeah, they're like, yeah, they want, they want you to go through all your climbing gear and and everything. And I'll share more as I learn because, you know, we bring things that we don't even think about, you know, plant seeds attached to our clothing sure. that mm-hmm. just blow in the wind. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you have an invasive plant. So, yeah. So back to the black-footed ferret, uh, they only live up to be three years, you know, on average. In the captive setting or, of course, a domesticated pet ferret, there's been documentation of up to 12 years, but maybe going to be more in the range of five to six. But they definitely are considered geriatric yeah, at about is, five yeah, or six. Yeah, that's not very so, long. I mean, well, it's hard, especially as a pet, if you bond with something yeah, and then- it dies that know, quickly. So like, you know, having yeah. a frog that probably lives to be about like 50 years. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> right. Or, or a parrot. Nobody, that's the thing. You don't want too short, but you don't want yeah. very long either. <laughs> you don't, you don't want a 50 year old great, oh, no. uh, you know, no, great no, parrot. No, no, no. You don't no. want your grandkids mm-hmm. taking your pets after you die. Um, so yeah, they're, they're, yeah. they have a lot of natural predators. So owls, if you think everything in the West or the Midwest, the United States, coyotes, cougars, hawks, eagles, even other badgers. Wolves. Yeah, all mm-hmm. eat uh, BFFs. So poor little guys. Mm. I know, but they have some really cool behavior. They do have a lot of really cool behaviors. They are largely nocturnal and solitary, except for when it's breeding season or a mom and her kits, of course. And these guys spend a lot of time underground. That's where they eat, they sleep, they raise their young in the prairie dog burrows. So not only do they use the prairie dogs as their diet, as their food source, but then they also use their burrows as their house. So it's kind of like eating and living in McDonald's, I suppose, (laughs) sleeping there, if you will. Being nocturnal, they're mostly active, of course, at night, uh, typically from dusk to midnight or early in the wee hours of the morning. And they are going to be a little bit more active during the summer and the fall, but generally the climate doesn't limit their activity. And in the winter time, they maybe hunk, they'll maybe hunker down in their in their burrow for days at a time. But in general, they don't hibernate or anything like that. They do travel up to eleven miles or eighteen nice. kilometers nice. <laughs> for you, Chris. Yeah yeah, 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 to seek their prey. And female black-footed ferrets are going to have a smaller home range. The black-footed ferret feeding behavior is also really cool, too. There's both innate and learned components, okay? So since they're predation, usually they're hunting at nighttime in these underground burrows, they use more like olfactory cues. Mm-hmm. And they're, so they're sniffing around, snuff, snuff, snuffing for a, for a uh, prairie dog. And... What's been documented that they do, if you can imagine this, that they're searching for the bur- through the burrows and they find sleeping prairie dogs. And then they position themselves on top of the dormant sleeping prairie dog and they'll do a, a little light tap to wake the prairie dog up and then a sudden gra- a sudden grab for the throat. Oh my God. Were they, like the, were they then? A, that is yeah. the stuff made of nightmares. <laughs> I know, right? Don't let your kids oh listen to God. this. No, no, yeah. And then, and then they, of course, yeah, they go for the throat and asphyxiate and whatnot. But the really crazy thing is that this, the innate behavior is that they definitely know how, they know where and how to bite in the correct location if they're in a captive setting and then released. But what they don't I'm know. I'm still. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me just back up. Well, you say back up the bus. Back I'm like bus. still on this. Yeah, that's a- waking up. Tap, tap, tap. You open your eyes. Ah, and dead. That's like <laughs> no. That's like poor prairie. The dogs. worst nightmare. <laughs> like yeah, I think you know anybody that you. Never mind. I don't wish that on anybody except the evilest of the evil people. Come back as prairie dogs. I know. Because my God, those poor things. It is. It is kind of. It's a. It's very sneaky. And I'm. I'm. <laughs> I'm sure the tap 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 is just to help get them in the right position and to minimize. Uh, <laughs> because it's. it's good. Do you mind scooting over so I can bite your <laughs> neck or bite your throat? <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So oh those. Poor, yeah, those poor prairie dogs. But if if you haven't, I suggest you go to the lovely YouTube. And Google black-footed ferret, and there's some really n- neat videos, and you can see a prairie dog, not ne- not necessarily a black-footed ferret take down a prairie dog, but you can see them kind of in a wrestling match during the day, which is really really rare footage that uh, was caught because of course mm-hmm. they normally hunt uh, in the, in at night, and to see this, uh, prairie dogs are big. They are a lot bigger than not a lot, but they're definitely bigger than the black-footed ferrets. And so, yeah, they have yeah, to use yeah. their sneaky weasel-like behavior to to make their lives easier. These and, and prairie dog freaking mustelids. I know. And prairie dogs, <laughs> they can they can take down a, a ferret too in defense. So, you yeah. know, it's not it's not all woe is me for prairie dogs. So no, uh, but I'm just sitting there thinking of you know honey badger ripping off testicles of animals, <laughs> and now we have black footed ferrets tapping you on the shoulder and then biting your neck. Uh, all right, let's well, cover us. We're covering fuzzy bunnies next. Okay. Well, <laughs> switching gears. Switching gears. Switching. Okay. okay. Uh, Switching gears or social behavior is once again, they're usually solitary, but they will come together in the kits, of course, are very playful and even adults are playful and curious about their uh, surroundings. And, And it's really cool. Both wild and domestic or captive ferrets do what is known as the ferret dance or the ferret mm-hmm. war dance. Which, once again, uh, maybe we can put a link on our show notes. If you yeah. guys check, hey, if you haven't checked out the show notes, definitely check them out. Yeah. I, I still look through them. <laughs> Man, yeah, I, I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm a good dork info. or whatnot. I'm always like, oh, these no, are there's good info in there. Yeah, there's yeah. really good info. And then, of course, our conservation sites that we support and recommend each week are on there, too. And so what the ferret dance is, it's like a frenzied series of hops sideways and backwards with an arch back and wide mm-hmm. open mouths and, and bucking in appearance and basically just total reckless abandon. <laughs> kind of kind of like my husband dancing yeah. after a few drinks. <laughs> <I'm> sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but uh, no, no, no. And more seriously, though, uh, it, it's pretty darn cute. And so, John, if you ever do listen to this, I, I do think you're cute when you dance. <laughs> like a um, prick, Especially like a, after a few drinks. Like a black-footed ferret. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, um, and luckily, I think Xander inherited some of your dancing skills. So that's... <laughs> Some lucky lady in the future. Yeah. Um, but but no, what researchers believe that this ferret dance is trying to intimidate or confuse a predator, mm. which now that makes really more sense about the John like, dancing. What's wrong with him? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm just confused right now. Yeah. Um, no. It's, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Honey, you're a good sport. You know I love you. I love how you dance. And, um, and honestly, anybody who knows to. me knows I'm – I know. No, anybody who knows me, I'm actually one that'll do more bucks on the dance floor okay. than anybody. So, um, but and then just a, another cute behavior. I mean, I shouldn't use cute, but I think it's charming. Is uh, the blackfooted ferret will dart down a 
a prairie dog burrow and then pop its head up to see what's going on to check out because they're curious to like check out the scenery and then they duck their head back down Mm -hmm. and then they'll scurry around and they'll pop their head up again in another another hole so it's pretty cute and the other little funny tidbit that y'all can take to a did i just say y'all oh my god i've been in the south too long long. chris edit that (laughs) never Ah, never edit that no (laughs) i'm sorry northern (laughs) friends that was it's late at night here in my time so Anyways, let me try that again. <laughs> a really fun fact you can take to a party is a group of ferrets is called a business. Yeah, that's so crazy. Just yeah. To, yeah, and 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 now, Chris, that I've had my my fun behavioral feeding story about the light tap followed by the sudden grab for those poor oh, God, prairie dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, I don't uh, know why the movie Alien keeps playing in my head thinking about that. Yeah, you know, like oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Um, do you have any other fun nutrition facts? No, to yeah, share? I mean their their home ranges are pretty interesting. They're can be quite large, up to ninety five to three hundred fifty five hectares. Oh, you <laughs> go, boy! Nice. <laughs> or two hundred thirty to nine hundred acres. So an acre is about the size of a football pitch. You figure it okay. out which which one it is: football field, football pitch, soccer field, or American football pitch. They they're pretty quick, you know, uh, twenty five kilometers per hour. Or 15 miles per hour. Oh, that's, yeah, that's cruising. That's yeah, like yeah. my old moped back in the 1990s. Yeah, and they're just little predators. I mean, you know, good sense of sight, smell, and hearing. Like you said, most of their diet is is prairie dogs. They will eat some other rodents, squirrels, things like that. But again, that kind of goes back to, made me think about the California condor when we were talking about the poisoning. They, again, like when all the prairie dogs were poisoned, then some black-footed ferrets would eat uh, them and get poisoned. So again, that's, that led to, to some of that. So you've talked about their hunting style. Oh, Chris, I have a fun question. How many prairie dogs do you think a black footed ferret eats oh, a year? No. I, why did I look this <laughs> I'm putting up? you on the spot, buddy. Okay. Yep, let me yep. think. Um, if they did one a week, now they do more than that. A hundred. Oh my God. You're good. Hey. Good, good deductive reasoning. Yeah, okay. Nice. Yep. Uh, researchers estimate about a hundred prairie there dogs a year. See? Hey, yeah. Mm-hmm. Science. <laughs> yeah. Think like about, it. you know, what, how much they digest, how much meat. That's about predators, you know? Yeah. No, very good. It's see, it's early morning, your time. I would never probably be able to do that. Nah, this it's, late four. At night. It's, it's four <laughs> in the afternoon. It's sunny and hot. Yeah. You guys freeze up there, uh, up there in the uh, North, the great yeah. white North. Yeah. In Florida. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's also, I learned too, that in Wyoming, they, like to consume white-tailed prairie dog. Mm. And then in South Dakota, they'll consume black-tailed prairie dogs. And black-tailed prairie dogs don't hibernate, and so they they usually don't need to change their diet. But in right. Wyoming, where they consume the white-tailed prairie dogs, they those guys hibernate. So right. then, and black-footed ferrets do not. So then their diet will switch to a lot of mice Just and Just to kind of hang out, yeah. So when they, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to get through the winter. I, so- Thinking about the recovery, you know, and, and we'll get into the conservation, but you know, what's, what's the, you know, we got to switch gears to reproduction. I'm just really curious what you found as far as their, you know, generation interval, things like that. So to touch a little bit on their re- black-footed ferret reproduction, adult males are called HOBs. That's H-O-B-S. Yeah, so that's, that's funny. Yeah. yeah, and their males are going to be 50% larger than females. That's huge. Uh, yeah, it's a big sexual dimorphism difference. Uh, that we don't always see in, in mammals. Right, right. And then adult females are called jills. 
Hob and Jill. Jill, Jill, yeah, Jills and Hobbs. Of course, baby ferrets are called kits. And then with domestication, a castrated male is called a gib, and a spayed female is called a sprite. A given sprite, <laughs> Hob and Jill. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's some uh, there's some random facts of the day for some uh, cocktail parties. Yeah, you guys. yeah, yeah. Researchers believe that males are probably polygamous, and therefore they breed multiple females. And a male's breeding age is going to be from one to three, if they even make it till three. And with ferrets, black-footed ferrets, they have a seasonality, and they breed in the spring. Hmm. And so when a male and female meet up, and the female is an estrus, so she's displaying and accept, readily accepting male behavior. He's going to give her a sniff, sniff in the in her red zones, and then he'll mount her, and there'll be a copulatory tie, as we've talked about mm-hmm. in some other carnivore species. And the tie may last uh, between one to three hours. Wow. So, yeah, that's kind of long. And a really cool story regarding art or artificial rep- productive technologies uh-huh. is that when those last 18 black-footed ferrets that were found in Wyoming in the 1980s were caught up, the scientists did freeze some of their s- sperm. Mm-hmm. And so since then, they've been able to produce offspring with this frozen uh, semen for that's been frozen for 20 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's and the benefit the, of it. Yep. Mm-hmm. And the sire, and interestingly enough, is called Scarface. <laughs> That's so, fitting for this species. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So these little bath, uh, little uh, mask bandits. But yeah, so Scarface was uh, was able to uh, to reproduce uh, eight, uh, 20 years after he had passed. So that's right, pretty cool. Right. Yeah. Um, and moving on to females, they're going to reach maturity at, at a year. And they are seasonal breeders. And so once a year, uh, they'll come into estrus. There's a really interesting fact about domestic female ferrets. That I'm not sure mm-hmm. if it's the same in black-footed females, black-footed ferret females. We'll have right. to ask my specialist friend when we get a chance to talk with her. But uh-huh. all right, are you ready for this? Is a very interesting one. The endocrinologist, right, right. yeah, the endocrinologist knew it's going to be like what? Um, okay. Okay. So, a uh, a domesticated female ferret that if she doesn't find a mate, if she comes into estrus and doesn't find a mate. And she'll she'll stay in heat. She'll she won't come out of heat. She'll just be indefinitely in heat. And because of being in heat, the high amounts of estrogen for too long creates an estrogen toxicity, and the bone mm-hmm. marrow stops producing new red blood cells, and she dies. What? That... It's called yeah. It's called aplastic anemia. No way. And yeah. And so are you kidding? No, so really, okay. 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 So not only these guys like wake you up and kill you, um, the females <laughs> get so horny that they die if they don't get bread. <laughs> Can we bottle this? Pretty somehow? much, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly accurate science, you know, that physiologically speaking, but ge- in a generalist way. Oh, I can go yes, in so many different directions with this knowledge. I know, I know. Well, we try to stay PG, but yes, um, we will try yeah. our best. Oh my God! So she dies from being horny. Yeah. Uh, anybody? Yes. Yes. I mean, I guess most people have seen cats in heat and how annoying they are. I know. Oh man, they it's it's wild. Yeah, yeah. like any animal that doesn't normally, you know, it, 
the the drive to reproduce is turned off and then when it's turned on it's like nobody's business get out of their way sure oh my god could you imagine if that's turned on 24 7 and then they die if they don't breathe (laughs) well maybe that's that's physiology being like this is too ridiculous like we need to shut we'll just it's just better not even be here yeah maybe (laughs) she's not we'll put you out of your your we'll put you we'll put you out of your misery right (sighs) oh i feel bad for Um, that black-footed fair that dies from being too horny oh my god i know i know but luckily luck and this is and well, once again, I don't know if this happens in black-footed ferrets. I couldn't find any research on it, but it definitely happens in domestic ferrets. And in um, domestic ferrets, most females, they fix this problem by spaying right. them. Right. And I, I would imagine so the black-footeds would. And, I, you know, maybe when you do the interview, she'll know. But again, it's not something you can experiment with, right? Because you don't want to lose them. Right. You know? Yeah. No. And I and obviously, the, the black-footed ferrets that are in the... Um, that are housed under human care in the breeding for program for uh, to be re-released. I imagine they are bred, so they they they're not gonna right. They don't want see to see or, or have this problem. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's but- the, the the most <laughs> striking fact of the day. I uh, I know. Let's switch. Gears. I was saving that one for you. Uh, it's a little. It was a little gold oh nugget when God. I read that. And, oh, I didn't know yeah, that. Like, I did wow. not know that. Oh. Now, if the female doesn't die of the horns and she gets bred. Sure, gestation period is only going to be about 42 to 45 days. Mm-hmm. And, and then in the black-footed ferret, the litter, the litter size is one to five kits. And the kits will be born in May or June. And my little other physiological fact that is not PG-13 rated or whatever mm-hmm. is that when the kits are born, they're born in an undeveloped state and they require a lot of care by the parents. Mm-hmm. They're helpless and blind, if you think like cats, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. Uh, until they're about two months old. Well, do you want to talk about their conservation status? Sure. Because it's really, you know, they're on the rise. They're, they're still classified as endangered, right? Mm-hmm. They're endangered by the IUCN uh, because of the small and restrictive populations. And so currently, Chris, there's an estimated 370 individuals in the wild. The numbers are a little hard to count because... Right. of they're nocturnal and they live in these prairie dog holes and this is all due a hundred percent due thanks to the breeding and reintroduction programs by the fish and wildlife and other researchers and currently there's about 280 uh, black-footed ferrets living under human care and check this out each year right. about 150 to 200 black-footed ferrets are released in these 29 introduction sites in Wyoming, South Dakota, Montana, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, Kansas, New Mexico, Canada, and Mexico. Yeah, and so just to kind of jump in real quick, this is what zoos do, right? Mm-hmm. This is what they want to be doing with these endangered species. They want to, if they have to, intervene. Of course. Obviously, you know, and we've said this again and again, you know, we want to preserve them in their natural habitat, mm-hmm. but when we have to step in, mm-hmm. we step in, we help them, mm-hmm. we grow the population, we maintain some back as an emergency population. That's what we see on exhibit, mm-hmm. mostly, and then you re-release them into a reservation or where they can be protected. Now, it's easy in the United States, right? But in, say, other parts of the world, there is nowhere to release some of these species, of course, and there's no, and once they're released, there's no regulations to protect them. Right, right. So it's 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 a tough battle. Yeah, and just to 
give these guys a shout out, I mean, as far as their efforts, since 1986, over 8,500 kits, black-footed fair kits, have been uh, born at these uh, captive breeding facilities. Although they're doing great with 370 in the wild, there's, of course, are still threats. And mm-hmm. most of them have to do with not enough prairie dogs uh, because they're either being poisoned and then or habitat loss. The right. prairie dogs are being pushed out because of agricultural, land development, oil and gas exploration. So it's they want to make sure if they are going to reinduce them in the wild that they're reinducing them into suitable sites where there's plenty of prairie dogs. The other key factor to consider with the black-footed ferrets is that they're susceptible to lots of diseases, including distemper, rabies, Mm -hmm. human influenza, and then, like you had touched on earlier, the plague. And researchers have been, they've developed a a plague vaccine for the black-footed ferret. And a really cool story about modern-day technology and all the researchers that are working hard and specialists working hard with these black-footed ferrets is they're now using, <laughs> if you can visualize this, they're using drones right? Okay, pick, to drop balls of peanut butter right. with vaccine for the plague, right? the plague that, of course, affects these black-footed ferrets, uh, to prairie dogs. I guess prairie dogs, another fun cocktail party mm-hmm. fact, is prairie dogs have an affinity for peanut butter. Right, so these, right. <laughs> right. these drone, yeah, these drones drop these peanut butter ball vaccines, and prairie dogs gobble them up, and then that helps the the black footed ferrets when they consume them. So I think in, in behind the science, because I was gonna you know kind of prepare, they call it sylvatic plague. Sylvatic is occurring in wildlife. It's a plague that happens just like in people. It's bacterial bubonic plague. That's what that's what kills us off. It's primarily spread by fleas. I think the take-home message of that story, Angie, as I listen to you talking about it, is it's incredible the amount of effort that's going in to save these animals and the people behind it. And that's where like doing this podcast has gotten me even more excited about conservation because we're doing these interviews now. And mm-hmm. we talked to Suzanne or Niaga or Aaron, and we're gonna we're planning many more there's so many people doing so many great things. And now they're using drones to drop mm-hmm. peanut butter treats on top <laughs> of prairie dogs to vaccinate. Like, it's mm-hmm. awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's so pe- great. And I hope the listeners is, appreciate that, you know, because I Yeah, it's, there's a lot of heartwarming stories. And, and, and people going to extreme efforts and and really trying to work for the animals and right. and then in, right. in, in trying to make it all work in this complex world that we live in and knowing that knowing that the black-footed ferrets are, are an important keystone species in the grasslands and right. we, we need to keep them around at, you know same thing right. with prairie right. dogs yeah. we don't want yeah. we don't yeah. want anything to happen to those guys they nope. you know we want to keep them around and that's why it's important to give a shout out to my organizations of the week yes so, please <laughs> my favorite, one of my favorite parts. No, I have so yeah, many favorite, so, oh, I have so many fa- yeah, favorite parts of this podcast now that I, I know. look forward to each week. But first, uh, it's a fun one that I've been holding back on everybody that uh-huh. I haven't been, I haven't been blasting this organization like I should and like I wanted to mm-hmm. because it's my roots. Uh, I have picked the Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. Yes, yes. That's where I, I spent seven wonderful years as a, a young and budding keeper and conservationist. Mm-hmm. So I've always want to talk about them and I want everybody to check them out to go to lpzoo.org and they do a, amazing conservation work 
um, uh, wonderful exhibits, tons of education. Mm-hmm. Their uh, their website's beautifully developed. You can adopt animals. And they do not house any black-footed ferrets there. However, they do house um, my dear friend and mentor, uh, Dr. Santemeyer, who mm-hmm. is an endocrinologist and head scientist there that works very closely with the BFFs. And I'm hopeful, hopefully going to interview her in the next couple of weeks so you guys can get to, to meet her and, and hear a lot about her great work. But basically what Lincoln Park Zoo does is they uh, partner with Montana's Northern Cheyenne Reservation and they are working on conservation efforts of the BFF in two parts. First, they're providing conservation and training and equipment to local partners to help monitor the populations that have been reintroduced so we know what's going on with them as far as disease and health and birth and all of that. And then secondly, the really cool part is Lincoln Park Zoo is known for their education efforts and they are their zoo educators are partnering with the community to integrate conservation efforts into local school curriculum. Mm-hmm. Because once again, we all know that if the community helps support a species, then it's going to be more successful as far as their um, their conservation efforts. So yeah, I'm ve- really, definitely you know, applaud yeah. and thank you for training Angie and sending her <laughs> my way. <laughs> right? Oh yeah, no, I, oh man, I love Leap LP Zoo. We go we go back every summer. I sometimes fantasize about just going back to my hoofstock barn and being with all my critters and my friends. Right. Um, but anyways, so I just go visit instead. My second organization of the week is really, really cool. So this is the National Black-Footed Ferret Conservation Center. Mm-hmm. And you can find them at www.blackfootedferret.org. So on both Facebook and then, of course, on the internet. And these guys are super committed to the recovery of the endangered black-footed ferret. And I believe this site is housed with basically the fish and wildlife services mm-hmm. and what they do is they serve for as a hub for everything their website is super tight it's got every anything black-footed ferret you could want as far as their story their education photos they do a tremendous amount of research especially when it comes to diseases and my favorite part about this website is that they have are you ready for it yep they have ferret cams so oh yeah yeah yeah. yes yes they have two live webcams of live black-footed ferret habitat in the fort Collins museum and discovery area in colorado nice i'm gonna go watch that yeah so check out blackfootedferret.org no those are two great uh, organizations to support and again they're in the show notes you click on our uh on any app you use or whatever show notes should be in there or you go to our website allcreaturespod.com click on the episode and they're there and and we always link it so it's a direct link just click on it boom their website pops right up but you know in planning for this episode i was just you know racking my brain on conservation tips and there's a million things i know one of the things i always talk about is water conservation so i thought it would be really cool because you know right now looking at our podcast numbers we're in the hundreds eventually we'll be in the thousands a lot of people are listening to this if everybody listening to this can put this in their brain and one time a week just take a short shower now angie i know that's tough for you when you only take one shower a week but <laughs> <laughs> busted because <laughs> you're like my uh... wife 
I know yeah. you. Yeah. Um, no, and I, no, but honestly, like it, it's still pretty short. But I, I'll make yeah. it even shorter, or, or I'll turn the temperature okay. of the water down. Mm-hmm. Right. If everybody listening to this can do that, and we're talking hundreds and thousands of people. Not hundreds of thousands yet. One day, maybe, Someday. but hundreds, <laughs> Something, maybe. and then pretty soon thousands will will listen to this. But if everybody did that and just took a short shower, went in there, washed your hair, washed you know, soaped up real quick, rinsed off, and got out, and didn't sit there and like go ah and enjoy it, we will save thousands and thousands of liters and gallons of water and reduce energy use because the water heater has to use a lot of energy to heat that water up. So not only are you saving water, Mm -hmm. yeah. And I thought it would just be something easy everybody could do. Everybody can do it. So yesterday, I was like, okay, yeah, I was preparing for this podcast. I jumped in the shower. I was in and out in like two minutes. I was like, boom, boom, done. And I smelled fine. I think. Of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And and I second that challenge too. I'm sure a lot of people already do it, but if you if you don't, um, just turn the water off while you're brushing your teeth. And yeah. that's cold yeah. water, so there's yeah. not a lot of um, there's not a lot of hot water going on there unless but still, uh, right. because I just I was just reading an article that says in Cape Town, which I've been blessed enough to be able to visit years ago, right, they're right. about they're about ninety days away from um, uh, having no water. From yeah, water major storage. water crisis. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. it's going to be a big problem, especially with global yeah. warming. It's a big problem. Mm-hmm. Now, for us, I, I just got to give a shout out to a special listener, Jonathan. He's up in British Columbia. Jonathan, we love there. you. <laughs> yes, uh. he contacted us on our Facebook group, uh, page. You know, really enjoying the show. So I just want to give him a shout out and thanks for contacting us. And he gave us uh, some ideas as far as a a species he'd like us to cover. So if anybody else has any ideas, you know, please contact us, tweet us, All Creatures Pod, or on our Facebook group. And again, you know, if if you haven't, subscribe, rate, and review uh, on iTunes. You know, again, we're still developing this community. But again, thank you for joining us this week. And Angie and I are pretty much ironed out a lot of our technical stuff we're still working on it you know so over the next couple pods you know it should get better and better you know we hope but thank you thank you everyone listen learn share join the movement at allcreaturespod.com